I'll just close up. Let's have an added word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for that scripture reading that says that when we face struggles in this life, we're not facing individuals, we're not facing governments, we're not facing just the physical things we see all around us. We are facing a spiritual government that wishes to cause us harm. And so, Lord, help us to see that behind the scenes, there's a spiritual battle. Behind every struggle, we find there is something redemptive that we can gain from it. So guide us to see that even the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against one follower of Jesus who is totally united with him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're ending up our Glimpses of Jesus series. It was in a way to, to give you a glimpse of camp meeting. And now as we finished, have finished up camp meeting last weekend, and I heard a good report about the meetings there, we're going to wrap up Glimpses of Jesus this week with the gates of hell which will show Christ Jesus is the foundation of the church. And then next week we have a guest speaker who's coming to kind of emphasize an area that uh, the conference uh, administrator wants to emphasize. And then the week after we start our Book of Acts study, a community of oneness. What does that look like, especially in the 21st century? And so I pray as we look at this last installment of the glimpses of Jesus, that we will then look forward to not only is Jesus our foundation, but then what does the church built upon Jesus look like in the book of Acts. As I was years ago getting ready for a series of meetings in Coffeyville, Kansas, I was a little bit nervous because it was a church in which the sanctuary had not been worshipped in in years. The carpet was original from, must have been 1972 or something like that. It was, everything was falling apart in there. It just seemed like are we really going to have a series of meetings in this little sanctuary with 10 members that are coming regularly and open it up to the community and have more people than that actually show up? Well, I began having a time of fasting and prayer, and the group had 10 days of prayer, and we had this whole two-month preparation process. We opened up the doors of the meetings, and that Friday night, we had a packed house in that little sanctuary. Must have been about 70 people there. And so this little church felt really excited, and as we continued progressing through the meetings, they, they were very excited. We had 30 visitors that were coming out of that 70, so Adventists from other places actually showed up along with about 30 visitors. And I remember as I was out making the visits, because uh, you all know that the pulpit is only one part, then the rest is actually the visitation. So there you go into the homes, and people were making good decisions, and the attendance had stayed very stable which was amazing for that little group to have that happen. And as I was making one visit one time, we came across a woman by the name of Pearl. That's not her real name. I'm putting a different name in there. But she had this beautiful name, and I just, I'm going to use Pearl. And Pearl was sitting outside in a courtyard. It was a courtyard apartment setting where you had kind of an L shape over here of apartments, and there was a sidewalk, and a, they each had their little front porch in front of their apartment. And over here was another set of apartments, and it almost formed a courtyard. And as I was coming over to visit a person who had been coming to the meetings, I noticed Pearl out there, sitting there, drinking beer, and being somewhat loud. A at any rate, I finish the visit, I come out, and she begins to engage me and this elder that are going visiting with me in a conversation. And as she's engaging us in this conversation, I can tell there's something not quite right. There's, I, I don't know, I just, something I sensed wasn't quite right, but I shrugged it off and decided to continue on. Made our visits for that week. We came back the week after, and the meetings were still going good. 
And as we came back that time to make another visit to that couple that had been coming, there she is again. <clears throat> and this time, it's almost like she won't take just a brief visit for an answer. And I began to visit with her, and she said, I knew you were coming. And usually you, you think, well, you know, they just saw me coming around the courtyard or something, and they saw me coming. But it was deeper than that. No, I saw you coming before you got here type thing. And I'm thinking, well, how did that happen? You know, some kind of clairvoyance or something I don't know about. But anyway, she's, she starts describing all of this, and she describes her childhood and begins to describe how, how they take control of her, and when she comes to a church, they make her do things that she doesn't remember later on and she regrets. And she kind of put it out there like, you don't want me coming to your meetings, do you? And I flat out said, Pearl, you are invited to come to these meetings, but they are not. And she nodded slowly. And then she invited us into her home. And it was strange. I, I felt impressed at that point to pray that the Lord would free her from those demons. And as I was in the home there, and I'm getting ready to ask her some gospel questions, just to make sure that I'm not way out there somewhere thinking that maybe I'm dealing with somebody with a mental disorder. You usually ask a series of spiritual questions to figure that out. And as I'm getting ready to ask the questions, a little girl comes in just a, a wee little girl, and she comes in, and she begins talking to Pearl, and Pearl's like, you can't talk about what you're going to talk about. Angel ears, angel ears. And I'm like, okay. And so if you were having this visit, you would think it was rather strange, wouldn't you? All right, you're getting ready to give a gospel presentation and lead her to Jesus, and she just erupts about this whole thing. And I could see her just getting very angry, like she didn't want me to proceed. And then she began to feed this little child lies about God. And about how God needs people to die so that he can have more angels in his army. Because God needs more angels in his army. Somehow God's weak. You know, he needs more angels in his army. And I said, no. We're gonna, we went to Psalm 23. And we read about how God is right there with you in the midst of your suffering. Right there with you. And, and it's not because of that at all. It's just because life happens. And the little girl was encouraged and left. And then Pearl was done with us. But she said, you know, if I come to your meetings then they will come with me. <clears throat> and once again, I told her that you're invited to come, but they are not. We left. I was a little bit nervous, thinking, okay, we've had disruptions before, but this, this, could, this could really boil over to something, you know? And so I called the conference president. He called all the pastors. We were a small conference. They were all praying and fasting leading up to the meetings there. What do you think happened that Friday? Well, we'll come back to it. Could she interrupt a meeting babe with prayer? Could her opposition really throw God's work into disarray? You know, this type of behavior is not unheard of in the scriptures, is it not? We find it's different places. It even comes in the religious realm where Jesus describes how even the teachers, watch out for us as well as, as normal people, the teachers of the law themselves were weaving in false teachings and things that were not according to the word of God. And Jesus talked about how they were like yeast of the Pharisees, right? So we even have religious teachers and things that Jesus said, watch out for. And then he points out, watch out for these other things as well. And some demons will not come out except for fasting and prayer. We find there's all kinds of teaching that Jesus talks about regarding facing the forces of evil, both facing falsehood in the church and facing blatant spiritual forces. 
And as I read this statement here, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees. It's pretty clear that even amongst the religious, quote-unquote, there could be false teaching. People infiltrating the flock. People coming and really not being agents of God, and if they're not agents of God, then they are agents of the devil, right? And so it shouldn't have surprised me that Pearl had shown up, was threatening to show up at the meetings. I'd had one incident before that as well where a death threat was accompanied to it, but same type of thing, trying to cause fear on the congregation so they wouldn't proclaim the message of God. And I imagine the words of Jesus because as Jesus is speaking about the yeast of the Pharisees, he goes on to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and it's not this port city. It's further inland. And the port city itself is beautiful enough, the Mediterranean Sea, the, the, the waves lapping upon the shore, the beautiful setting there. You can imagine Jesus there, but really that's not where he's at. He's further inland, what we call Bonius, or Banius, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And we have, this is the Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus begins to talk about the false teaching and pointing them to himself as the true teaching, the foundation. And you can see the ruins there, the rocky outcroppings. You can also see a water, kind of a waterfall coming down into here. It looks like they've done some modern improvements there as well. But this rock face here, filled with ledges, ledges that have, used to have idols in them, in the rock face, or idols carved out of the rock face. And there we find there's the waterfall of uh, Banias, we, we call it. And that's where Jesus gives this statement. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Interesting, isn't it? And the age-old practice of reincarnation belief is still sitting back there, or some weird form of special resurrection. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Isn't that the real question? When you come up with somebody who you suspect might have some way be spiritually influenced by demons, you ask three simple questions. Do you believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh? That Jesus came in the flesh. He's literally one of us. That's one question out of 1 John. The second question you ask them is, is Jesus God? He was God and man, right? And he is God, right? Is he God? And the third question, is he Lord? Resurrected in heaven, all power available, resurrection power for your life. Is he Lord? If someone says no to any one of those questions, you know it's beyond a mental issue. You know it's a deep spiritual issue in which the, what you're seeing on the surface is a symptom of the deeper issue. Because we should all be able to say, who is the Son of Man? Who is he? He was God in the flesh with us, died for us, resurrected in heaven, all power for us in our daily lives, Lord of our lives. Well, Peter gets the picture. He says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This isn't just something you've conjured up, but heaven has, literally, your connection with heaven has given you this information. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Gates of Hades, gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Whatever it is, 
I want to make sure I have crystal clear in my mind because I don't want the gates of hell to prevail against my life or my family's life or against you. So whatever it is, we want to make sure we understand that. Is it Peter or is it Jesus? If it's Peter, you're going to have a series of problems, the likes of which we are still seeing the repercussions of to this day, looking to a human being instead of to Jesus Christ as the foundation. If it's Jesus, you have a real foundation of Scripture to build on because you have the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. You have everything in Jesus' life pointing out that he truly is the one. You have every writer after Jesus pointing to him, every true writer of the Bible, not these apocryphal books and everything. And so upon this rock, that's what I'm interested in, the rock. What is the rock that even the gates of hell will not prevail against? The likes of which can literally bust down spiritual strongholds. And you say, it's Jesus. Well, it says down there in verse 20, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So it's pretty clear the text ends with the idea of Jesus the Messiah. But let's go ahead and just do a little word study here. Matthew 4.18 we have the word Petros for Peter, okay? We have it, same thing here. Matthew 7, 25, the house built upon that Petra would stand, which was representing the words of God, words of Jesus. And so what do we have here in Matthew when Jesus says upon this rock? We have Petra, not Petros. It's a big difference there. You're talking about the difference between a masculine and a feminine when it comes to the noun. Now, we find that sometimes gender doesn't matter, but in this case, as we look at the, at the evidence adding up, it does seem to matter. You find that the rock at Jesus' tomb is referred to as Petra, which is what we're talking about here in, in Matthew as well, on this rock. Whoever believes in the Petra of offense will not be put to shame. Who's that? The rock of offense? It's Jesus. So Petra is Jesus. The Petra that accompanied them was Christ. So what was that rock in the wilderness? It wasn't just a rock that they struck and there was water coming out. It represented how God provided for them in the wilderness. That Lord who followed them was Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 4, Jesus is the living stone that was rejected. It uses the word lithos, but later on it uses petra when referring to Jesus himself. And so, young people, here's your scripture for number five if you'd like to mark it down. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 18. This, to me, with Peter himself saying it, makes it very clear. If Peter was saying, I am the rock, the Petra, then surely we would find it in his own writings, but we don't find it. Instead, we find it's Jesus is the Petra, the rock. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to let you look it up so you can see it in your own version. It talks about living stones, or lithos stones, that are built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. And then you come to verse 6, for in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him, not it, but in him, will never be put to shame. This is a case where a stone is referred to as him. And who is Peter trusting in? Jesus. Keep going on. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe in Jesus, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. You believe a royal priesthood. 
So if we diagram this, young people, do you have that marked down, that scripture reference? You all have it marked down? If you don't get all the answers on the FBI sheet, don't worry. I'll still give you credit. So look at this text here. For I lay a stone in Zion, which we find in Hebrews 11, points to the church a lot of times, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then it goes down here and talks about if you, it, the stone, Petra, the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. So it uses these words, lithos and Petra in the Greek, and they're all pointing to a message. A message that is obeyed or disobeyed. A message that points to a person, Jesus Christ. And so in Peter's mindset, the rock is the message of Jesus. Not me, not you, Jesus. It's a powerful message. The likes of which, if even one of us in the world, since the beginning of time, chose to listen and obey to this one Message of Jesus. If one of us was to choose to listen and obey it, God could start the whole world over with one of us. Did he not start with one in the beginning? Could he not start the whole world over with you or with me? It's a, it's a powerful thought to think that God has that much value in one sinner who repents. Satan then has a problem, does he not? If one of us and another one of us and another one of us chooses to believe this message, he's got a major problem. Because God could start the world over millions of times over, could he not? Billions of times. I'm not sure how many faithful there have been. But each one of us is of value. One person said it this way. If one of us lived forever and ever and ever and ever, we would eventually outlive all the human beings who've ever lived, all their lives put together, from the beginning of time down to the time that Jesus comes. One of us would outlive them all put together. That was, we find, Amazing Facts founder said that. And so, are they stumbling over Peter, over the message of Jesus? They're not stumbling over Peter. Peter's saying people are not choosing to obey Jesus in his message. So back to Matthew 16, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This proclamation, this message that you have believed that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. So I conclude... Considering that Petra is linked to the words of Jesus, the tomb of Jesus, the belief in Jesus as the Messiah, and Jesus himself, then the rock is Jesus. It's, a message, it's Jesus and the message about Jesus. And all who choose to believe that message and obey that message, the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Do you believe the message of Jesus? That he loves you that much to leave heaven's throne, come down to this world as a baby, as a man, die for each one of us, provide us eternal life, just this beautiful promise, and he would do it just for one of us. There are only one of us. And so then our goal then, as individuals in the church, would be then to stay focused on Jesus. We've seen glimpses of Jesus in the parables, in the Old Testament. I'm just giving you taste that everywhere you look in the scriptures, you can stay focused on him, that you'll see him clearly. Even in some of those sacrifices and cleansing of the leper, you'll find all kinds of ways to see Jesus throughout the whole Bible if you look for him. And so the glimpses of Jesus, the series was to stay focused on him. That Ebenezer, when we talked about last week, this rock that was set up on a high point was to point forward to Jesus. And when we found out that if we lift up Jesus, all mankind will be drawn to him. And then in the coming weeks, we'll look at how a, as a community of oneness, a community together on true oneness, 
Not what's being played in the newspapers these days, but true biblical oneness in the message of Jesus. Our main goal would be to be founded on Jesus and stay focused on Jesus as well. And so Jesus is the rock, and the gates of hell will not overcome the church that believes in Jesus. Stays focused on him. What about the phrase gates of hell? What do you think? Anybody want to throw out an idea? What do you think gates of hell means? Almost sounds like a weird movie I watched in my pre-Christian days or something. Anybody want to throw out an idea? What's gates of hell mean? Strongholds, okay? Dungeon of some kind? So it's a kind of imprisonment you, f- you feel like it says? Anybody else? Any ideas of gates of hell? Eternal death, something that's quits you, okay? Yeah, we've, we've got elements of all of these types of things. Uh, as, as you think of gates, here's Herod's gates in Jerusalem. Herod's gate, excuse me, in Jerusalem. Uh, you'll find there's still parts of it standing. And you look at those people, they're going in and they're going out, right? That there's no gate really there that's locked and shut, right? But if there was a gate that was locked, then is anybody going to go in or out? Okay. You, you've got a gate, kind of arch there, but if they had something put up in a time of battle, then nobody would be going in or out. So a gate can be entrance, exit, but it can also be a little bit deeper than that. You look at the gate of the city of Megiddo, we find here, um, you find there's actually, some believe, triple gates. So what's the point of a triple gate in an ancient city? Well, nowadays we could just fly over an airplane, right, and bomb something. That's what we're talking about on the news, right? But, but back then, what was your entry points? Well, either the gates or the walls. Okay, so if the city didn't have very strong gates, you could bust right through and go right through and conquer the whole city. But if they had strong, strong gates, like this one, if I was to go after this city and it had double or triple gates, you would expend a certain amount of human life to get into that city. And you'd have to s- figure out if that's worth it or not. Or you'd have to find a way to go somewhere into the walls. And if you look here, there's drops and everything. And trying to go uphill battle into a city with, with walls so you find there's, there's already very few ways to get into the city if you have it well guarded. But here, the gate is meant to be something that prevents people from coming in, primarily. In times where there was not any war, people would go, come and go freely through there. But in times of war, it would be a way to keep people out. So is Jesus talking about a message that's just something that it's a peaceful message that never in any way affects the forces of darkness, that is just hunky-dory and nothing ever is going to happen. No one's ever going to be set free. No, you find in the scriptures, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. I mean, it's a place of darkness, the dungeon or whatever it is spiritually. God's going to come into that place through you or through angels or through dreams or through whatever means he sees. He's going to get into that darkness and help that person see the way. And then hell so gates, we can find entry to a home, palace, city. It's either for you to enter or it's to protect you, protect the city, guard the city, or observe threats. Hell, we find Hades or Sheol, this idea of death in the Bible is equated with it, spiritual death and sp- death itself and spiritual darkness. So if Jesus holds the keys of death and hell in Revelation 1, can he not then go into spiritual places of darkness and strongholds and set people free. Yes, and so then the message of Jesus would then be a message to set 
captives free. It would be an offensive message, not just a defensive message where we come to church every week and we just absorb and then it, that's as far as it goes. That's a defensive message where, well, someday they're going to come and take away our building or someday this is going to happen. Or that, That's defense. We need to be on the offense because there are gates erected around people's hearts. Strongholds of lies, strongholds of all kinds of things that distract them, strongholds the devil has built up around them, and there's a gate there, there's an entry point, and Jesus literally has the way to unlock not only the grave for our loved ones, but also the spiritual entry points of people's hearts. The message of Jesus serves as a wedge, battle language. Nothing can stand against a church, an individual, a series of individuals who are willing to break down Satan's gates, enter his strongholds, and set the captives free. If you think the valley is free from strongholds, it, sorry, it's not. You know, I, if I were the devil, I'd lay claim on the hills because, you know, that's where all the wealth was buried, according to the, we find in the old patriarchs and prophets. But you also find that the valleys, look at Sodom and Gomorrah, look at these other areas where, where he wanted to control everywhere. There are strongholds here in this valley. There are strongholds here in people's lives in our church. There are strongholds in our community. We need to be able to go into those places with the message of Jesus and break the strongholds down. But if we don't have a message of Jesus, it'd be like coming up to a lock and having the wrong set of keys. Or thinking you're rushing into battle with, with a heavenly army of hosts behind you, but then there's not the power that it, there should be to break that stronghold down. You want to make very doubly sure when you're facing the forces of evil that you have the message of Jesus in your heart that you're prayed up and you're ready to face whatever comes. Not because you're great, but because God is great. That's why Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Not yourself, but in the armor of God. In the Old Testament, I was reading in Isaiah this idea of God girding himself, putting on some armor, right? So what does he do? He gives you armor. Armor of heavenly origin. I mean, if a flaming sword sat there at the outside of the Garden of Eden preventing entry, then surely the, the flaming sword of the Word of God could, could guide you to gain entry into these strongholds. And the breastplate of righteousness, just knowing that you are going, not in your own name, but you are going clad in the armor of heaven. That gives you a holy boldness to say, you know what, I'm not coming my own name. But I come in the name of the Lord God of heaven. You come to me with sword and spear and shield, but I come in you, with you in the name of the rock, not my little rock in my bag, but the rock himself. And that's why you find David has the victory. Not because he was some kind of ancient archer with a rock, but because of the God he served. And so the gates of hell are going to flee, bust wide open as we share the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior. But the problem is, is that every time that begins to happen, Every time a group unites and says, we're going to consider where God will lead us, we're going to consider sharing this message in some way actively with our world around us, then there's other agents that will come in. Okay? And I'm not one to, to look at agents. I look at my own mirror more than I do that. But this is an interesting vision. I saw that Satan bade his angels to lay their snares, especially for those who were looking for Christ's second appearing and keeping all the commandments of God. You wonder why there's all these movements in Earth's history since the first century to wipe out Sabbath keepers? It's because they resemble Jesus. Not only that, they are in Jesus doing and keeping the commandments of Jesus. 
Satan told his angels that the churches were asleep, he would increase his power in lying wonders, and he could hold them. But, he said, the sect of Sabbath keepers we hate, they're continually working against us, taking from us our subjects to keep the hated law of God. Somehow, keeping the hated law of God, according to Satan, is working against him. It's showing people you truly trust Jesus. Go make the possessors of lands and money drunk with cares. Oh, we can get drunk with that too. We learned about getting drunk with anger, but now drunk with cares. If you can make them place their affections upon these things, we shall have them yet. They may profess what they please, only make them care more for money than for success of Christ's kingdom or the spread of the truths that we hate. Present the world before them in the most attractive light that they may love and idolize it. We must keep in our ranks all the means of which we can gain control. We know all about economic boycotts in our world and how that is an, a method of warfare. Satan has been using it since the beginning of time, and nations are using it more so now because of all the, the availability of credit cards and all of that and shutting down bank accounts. But what we find is he's been using it for years. Shut down your heart, and then he shuts down. In his, in, at least in his mind, he thinks he shuts down the means that God has in the work. The more means the followers of Christ devote to his service, the more will they injure, injure our kingdom by getting our subjects. As they appoint meetings, now that's what was happening in southeast Kansas. We were appointing meetings, not only in Coffeyville, but in Iola and other places. And I, and I knew that, I almost thought it'd be better off if we did five at one time so that, so that he would be engaged in five different battles and divide the enemy on five fronts. But I never quite got to that. I only got to three at one time. But at any rate, there we were holding meetings, and as we appointed the meetings, we started noticing things were happening, like this pearl lady coming, start trying to come, and others as well. As they appoint meetings in different places, we are in danger, be very vigilant, cause disturbance and confusion if possible. So if a disturbance or a confusion happens at a meeting where Jesus is lifted up, then you know that that's not of God. It's never been. Jesus, would, in fact, would tell the demons who began to speak and say, you're the son of God, he'd tell them to be quiet because he did not want that disturbance to hinder the message of God. Destroy love for one another. Oh, that's another way, huh? Discourage and dishearten their ministers, for we hate them. Whoa, little bullseye here. Present every plausible excuse to those who have means, lest they hand it out. Control the money matters if you can and drive their ministers to want and distress. This will weaken their courage and zeal. Battle every inch of ground, every little inch. I think the Battle of the Bulge and what we had in the Pacific was bad. This is every inch. This is close combat, the likes of which you don't realize it, but they're closer than you think. Good news is, is it almost seems like you can sense them leaving as Jesus is lifted up. When I first sat in this building, I, I sensed there was things going on I didn't know about. And you could sense a darkness, a cloud. But I began noticing that as you guys began to point each, I mean, I'm not saying you weren't doing it before, but as we began to say, you know what, we're going to move forward. We're going to try to see what the Lord will have us to do. You notice it's like a cloud started lifting of some kind. I, don't, I can't explain it. It's like an inch of ground was gained. And it's like, and then more is gained, and then more is gained. And then we, we keep moving forward. But then he'll come along and crowd our attractions, try to get us focused on other things. And then later on, I saw that Satan carries out his plans well. He's a well-planned-out foe. As the servants of God appoint meetings, Satan with his angels is on the ground to hinder the work. Not just his angels, but he's going to, in some way, focus in on that. 
I don't know if he's personally, this almost seems like he's personally there. He's constantly putting suggestions in the minds of God's people. Then he leads us into selfishness, besetting sins. But if you go on down there, she doesn't stop there in that dismal picture. She says, the grace of God and the light of truth may melt away their covetousness, selfish feelings for a little. But if they do not obtain entire victory, Satan comes in when they are not under a saving influence and withers every noble, generous principle and they think that too much is required of them. They become weary of well-doing and forget the great sacrifice which Jesus made to redeem them from the power of Satan from the hopeless misery. Hopeless misery and all of these symptoms come when we do not focus on the great grand sacrifice of Jesus. Not just his death, but his life that he lived perfectly, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his soon coming, the whole message of Jesus. And so, selfishness, fighting, sins, cloudy day feelings, hopelessness, all because we forget the cross? You think that could really happen? This is from Ellen White, Early Writings, page 266 to 268. A vision I read every time before we have a series of meetings, especially since that incident with Pearl. And so all of us are important to God. Each one of you is important to God. We all have a role to play. So that means we must work together because if Jesus is our rock individually, imagine how much more powerful it is if he's our rock corporately, our foundation. Wherever we've come from, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is true people power, not the likes of which they saw on that subway when they helped that man out of that subway situation, but the likes of which breaks down strongholds and sets miserable people free. And so every plot, stratagem of the enemy will be endured and conquered through Jesus if we're united. And so I picture that scene. The pagan shrines are all there. You can kind of see the ledges better from this one. Here's a ledge here, kind of a little place where they would have a God focused on there. Jesus says that the forces of bondage and evil, the gates of hell themselves, what all of these false gods represented were really the demonic powers, and they themselves will not stand against you because I am the rock. Because even that wall has a foundation, does it not? You find that at some point, there's some layer down there that is underneath that. And so Jesus is saying, I am the foundation of the church. I am the rock. Everything else will crumble. But you will set captives free. You will prevail. You will issue the water of life to everybody all around you as you issue the message of Jesus. The Spirit and the bride say, come, drink the water of life freely. Very fitting then that he has the picture of the rock here, the message of Jesus, and then the water here, the message of Jesus going to those who are thirsty and who are in bondage. And so against all forms of false worship, we will prevail. All forms of spiritual warfare, we're going to prevail against that. All the attacks from the enemy, which I have not even begun to list them because I don't want to focus on them, we will overcome them. In your own life, you will be able to overcome the strongholds of the devil and break down those barriers, not because of you, but because of Jesus. And so Revelation says we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony. That is what Ellen White was saying, focusing on the sacrifice of Jesus. By the blood of the Lamb, we will overcome as a church. We will continue to move forward. And so Jesus has some wonderful pictures. I remember this one here. Time is going to be up soon where he's going to come. Time will be over with. And then we'll see him in the clouds. And then, you know what really is happening at that point? 
not only are the gates of hell stormed forever, but Satan himself is arrested in that sin. And in essence, it's enough. It is finished. All the battles spiritually will be over except for the fire coming down. We'll go up with Jesus. And so I should have remembered all of that, right? All of those things I just preached to you. I should have remembered every one of them when I was facing that, that situation, shouldn't I? You'll remember everything that you have learned all in one situation. You'll pull out that little vision and you'll read it, and, and, right? Yeah. Well, I just remembered to pray and to fast. And so there we were, praying and fasting. I got on my little cell phone. For some reason today, I have it in my pocket, this exact one. And I'm on this phone here. It's still got the Kansas number in it. And I'm calling the elder and saying, um, you've still been fasting, praying, and we're ready to go, right? And he said, yeah, I'm ready to go. And I said, the whole conference is praying, just so you know. I heard yesterday that the whole conference is, is praying for us. So let's, uh, I'm not confident anyway, so I needed that. And he's like, yeah, I needed that too. So we go and we begin to hang up the phone, and then I get a call. And this one has a little feature that shows when you're getting another call, and it beeps at me and stuff. So then I hit the next button, and, it, and back in then you could talk on the phone in Kansas while you're driving, okay? So I'm in my car, and I'm starting to drive down to, to Coffeyville. And as I'm driving down there, it's the neighbors who we've been visiting next door to Pearl. And they say, well, she just stopped by and told us she's not going to be there. And, and somehow word got around that she's not going to be there. She's going camping. And I'm like, camping? I guess it just didn't hit me that she was a camping type of person. I'm like, yeah, it kind of hit us strange too. So I say, well, are you sure? Yeah, she said she's going to go shopping and she might be back later, but she might be going camping this weekend. Now, as a pastor, I'd be like, oh, good, it's over with. I don't have to worry about her coming and disrupting the meetings, right? But I still felt impressed I wanted to pray with this lady. So I had the oil there and everything, and I'm driving down. I said, Can, if you see her, find a way to, she doesn't know I'm coming, right? No, we haven't told her. Find a way to detain her so we can get there. Well, uh, we get there, and I go to this, th this couple's house, and they say, well, she went in, but she hasn't come out of her apartment. So she's there. So the elder and I are going up to the apartment door. We're knocking, and we can look inside and see the TV's on. We can see that there looked like there was even something on the stove. I'm not sure what was going on there, but, but it looked like somebody was in there, like they had just said, but she wouldn't come to the door. We must have spent the exact amount of time we spent there. I remember it was enough time for me to go over, visit a church member in the, in the across the courtyard for a little while, sit on that church member's porch, and watch the front door for a while, because I wasn't going to give up. I was like, this lady needs to be set free. This is but I don't want to harass her, you know. So, sort of got enough of that going on, but <laughs> with those demons. But there I was sitting there and thought, can we go back and knock again? So we went back and knocked again and out of the next door neighbor's apartment, not the couple, but another neighbor, this big guy comes out, what are you on? I'm like, this is kind of strange. And he looks like he's been drinking. He's got that flush of being drunk or something. And so we're looking for Pearl. And he's like, what are you on? And I said, well, we just want to pray with her. He's like, well, I'm Baptist. And dude, he just threw this thing out there. I said, Baptist? Well, we're Seventh-day Adventists. Well, what is that? And I said, well, it's kind of like the Seventh-day Baptists. You know, we keep the Sabbath, and you know, just like the Seventh-day Baptists do. And that shut him down. It kind of calmed him down, because now he knew that there were Baptists who kept the Sabbath, too. But anyway, so <laughs> I said, we just want to pray with her. Well, she's not, she's not available right now. And so I said, well, we're going to leave a note here, and you tell her anytime she wants to be free, just give me a call. I almost wanted to know a little more ahead of time. But I put it out there. I never met Pearl again. She never came to the meetings. But I couldn't left, 
leave that situation but feeling that something was wrong. Found out later from the neighbors who were the couple that we were visiting that, I'm not sure if she told them or what, but at any rate, she, she, the word got to them that she could not leave her back apartment room. Something kept her there. And so there we were for all that time, knocking and trying to pray for her, and for whatever reason, something kept her there. don't have an answer for all of that. But how do we prevail against the forces of evil? It's easy. It seems very simple. It's the message of Jesus taking root in our heart. The outcome is predicted long ago that even the gates of hell there, something had her trembling. The demons did not want to let her go. Why? Because I believe Pearl would have been a, a huge asset to the work of God. I still pray for her. Must be that maybe even the demons were trembling that were controlling her. They were there taking her off into the back room because as we ended those meetings, we ended with about 15 visitors and three of them joined that little church and the next thing you know, we have people moving into the area, a young family and another young family and the church doubles. It's just this amazing growth for a little church like that. And as the last time I talked to them, Facebooked them, they are still meeting that little sanctuary, <laughs> that new carpet sanctuary that they have. And so I believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against us individually and corporately. I believe that the me because the message of Jesus is embedded in our hearts and those who long for the pearly gates and who have Jesus' message in their lives, these gates, these pearly gates are for us. And so that means then the gates of hell will not prevail. And I want to break down as many strongholds as the Lord allows us to break down as a church in our own lives and in the lives of those around us because those pearly gates are a lot better than the gates of hell, are they not? So I hope you'll be revived by the Lord, and as we sing our closing song, wherever you're at with the Lord, ask the Lord to break down the gates of hell in your life and the life of those around you. Our closing song is number 612, Onward, Christian Soldiers. And if you'd like to stand and say, use me to break down spiritual strongholds, then please stand. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banners go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Christians, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we one in hope and doctrine 
us of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones have perished, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never <clears throat> against that church prevail. We have Christ's own promise that can never fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. <clears throat> Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, praise, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching <clears throat> to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Father in heaven, we're thankful that the message of Jesus is a sure foundation in which the church is built. Help us to accept that into our hearts by saying, Lord, here's my life. Take control of it. And then help us to take and share that message of your lordship with those all around us in this world so that they will have their strongholds broken down and they too will be agents of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.